The first letter to the Corinthians, chapters 12 through 16, from the 20th century New Testament. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by J. A. Carter, www.authenticlight.org. The 20th century New Testament, by a company of about 20 scholars. The first letter to the Corinthians, chapters 12 through 16. Chapter 12. In the next place, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. You know that there was a time when you were Gentiles, going astray after idols that could not speak, just as you happened to be led. Therefore I tell you plainly that no one who speaks under the influence of the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed, and that no one can say Jesus is Lord except under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Gifts differ, but the Spirit is the same. Ways of serving differ, yet the Master is the same. Results differ, yet the God who brings about every result is in every case the same. To each man there is given spiritual illumination for the general good. To one is given the power to speak with wisdom through the Spirit, to another the power to speak with knowledge due to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another power to cure diseases by the one Spirit, to another supernatural powers, to another the gift of preaching, to another the gift of distinguishing between true and false inspiration, to another varieties of the gift of tongues, to another the power to interpret tongues. All these result from one and the same Spirit, who distributes his gifts to each individually as he wills. For just as the human body is one whole, and yet has many parts, and all its parts, many though they are, form but one body, so it is with the Christ. For it was by one Spirit that we were all baptized to form one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or freemen, and were all imbued with one Spirit. The human body, I repeat, consists not of one part, but of many. If the foot says, Since I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it does not on that account cease to belong to the body. Or if the ear says, Since I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it does not on that account cease to belong to the body. If all the body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If it were all hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed each individual part just where he thought fit in the body. If, however, they all made up only one part, where would the body be? But in fact, although it has many parts, there is only one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you, nor again the head to the feet, I do not need you. No, those parts of the body that seem naturally the weaker are indispensable, and those parts which we deem less honorable we surround with special honor, and our ungraceful parts receive a special grace which our graceful parts do not require. Yes, God has so constructed the body, by giving a special honor to the part that lacks it, as to secure that there should be no disunion in the body, but that the parts should show the same care for one another. If one part suffers, all the others suffer with it, and if one part has honor done it, all the others share its joy. Together you are the body of Christ, and individually its parts. In the church God has appointed first apostles, secondly preachers, thirdly teachers. Then he has given supernatural powers, then power to cure diseases, aptness for helping others, capacity to govern, varieties of the gift of tongues. Can everyone be an apostle? Can everyone be a preacher? 
Can everyone be a teacher? Can everyone have supernatural powers? Can everyone have power to cure diseases? Can everyone speak in tongues? Can everyone interpret them? Strive for the greater gifts, yet I can still show you a way beyond all comparison the best. Chapter 13 Though I speak in the tongues of men or even of angels, yet have not love, I have become mere echoing brass or a clanging cymbal. Even though I have the gift of preaching, and fathom all hidden truths and all the depths of knowledge, even though I have such faith as might move mountains, yet have not love, I am nothing. Even though I dole my substance to the poor, even though I sacrifice my body that I may boast, yet have not love, it avails me nothing. Love is long-suffering and kind. Love is never envious, never boastful, never conceited, never behaves unbecomingly. Love is never self-seeking, never provoked, never reckons up her wrongs. Love never rejoices at evil, but rejoices in the triumph of truth. Love bears with all things, ever trustful, ever hopeful, ever patient. Love never fails, but whether it be the gift of preaching, it will be done with. Whether it be the gift of tongues, it will cease. Whether it be knowledge, it too will be done with. For our knowledge is incomplete, and our preaching is incomplete. But when the perfect has come, that which is incomplete will be done with. When I was a child, I talked as a child, I felt as a child, I reasoned as a child. Now that I am a man, I have done with childish ways. As yet we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. As yet my knowledge is incomplete but then I shall know in full as I have been fully known. Meanwhile, faith, hope, and love endure, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Chapter 14 Seek this love earnestly, and strive for spiritual gifts, above all, for the gift of preaching. He who, when speaking, uses the gift of tongues, is speaking not to men, but to God, for no one understands him. Yet in spirit he is speaking of hidden truths. But he who preaches is speaking to his fellow men words that will build up faith and give them comfort and encouragement. He who, when speaking, uses the gift of tongues builds up his own faith, while he who preaches builds up the faith of the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but much more I wish that you should preach. A preacher is of more account than he who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets his words, so that the faith of the church may be built up. This being so, brothers, what good shall I do you if I come to you and speak in tongues unless my words convey some revelation or knowledge or take the form of preaching or teaching? Even with inanimate things, such as a flute or a harp, though they produce sounds, yet unless the notes are quite distinct, how can the tune played on the flute or the harp be recognized? If the bugle sounds a doubtful call, who will prepare for battle? So with you unless in using the gift of tongues you utter intelligible words how can what you say be understood you will be speaking to the winds there is for instance a certain number of different languages in the world and not one of them fails to convey meaning if however i do not happen to know the language i shall be a foreigner to those who speak it and they shall be foreigners to me and so with you since you are striving for spiritual gifts be eager to excel in such as will build up the faith of the church Therefore, let him who, when speaking, uses the gift of tongues, pray for ability to interpret them. 
If when praying I use the gift of tongues, my spirit indeed prays, but my mind is a blank. What then is my conclusion? Simply this. I will pray with my spirit, but with my mind as well. I will sing with my spirit, but with my mind as well. If you bless God with your spirit only, how can the man in the congregation who is without your gift say Amen to your thanksgiving? He does not know what you are saying. Your thanksgiving may be excellent, but the other is not helped by it. Thank God I use the gift of tongues more than any of you, but at a meeting of the church I should rather speak five words with my mind, and so teach others, than ten thousand words when using the gift of tongues. Brothers, do not show yourselves children in understanding. In wickedness be infants, but in understanding show yourselves men. It is said in the law, In strange tongues and by the lips of strangers will I speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Therefore the gift of the tongues is intended as a sign not for those who believe in Christ, but for those who do not, while the gift of preaching is intended as a sign not for those who do not believe in Christ, but for those who do. So when the whole church meets, if all present use the gift of tongues, and some men who are without that gift, or who are unbelievers, come in, will not they say that you are mad? While if all those present use the gift of preaching, and an unbeliever or a man without the gift comes in, he is convinced of his sinfulness by them all, he is called to account by them all, the secrets of his heart are revealed, and then throwing himself on his face he will worship God and declare, God is indeed among you. What do I suggest then, brothers? Whenever you meet for worship, each of you comes, either with a hymn, or a lesson, or a revelation, or the gift of tongues, or the interpretation of them. Let everything be directed to the building up of faith. If any of you use the gift of tongues, not more than two, or at the most three, should do so, each speaking in his turn, and someone should interpret them. If there is no one able to interpret what is said, they should remain silent at the meeting of the church, and speak to themselves and to God. Of preachers, two or three should speak, and the rest should weigh well what is said. But if some revelation is made to another person as he sits there, the first speaker should stop. For you can all preach in turn, so that all may learn some lesson and all receive encouragement. The spirit that moves the preachers is within the preacher's control. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. This custom prevails in all the churches of Christ's people. At the meetings of the church, married women should remain silent, for they are not allowed to speak in public. They should take a subordinate place, as the law itself directs. If they want information on any point, they should ask their husbands about it at home, for it is unbecoming for a married woman to speak at a meeting of the church. What? Did God's message to the world originate with you? Or did it find its way to none but you? If anyone thinks he has the gift of preaching or any other spiritual gift, let him recognize that what I am now saying to you is a command from the Lord. Anyone who ignores it may be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, strive for the gift of preaching, and yet do not forbid speaking in tongues. Let everything be done in a proper and orderly manner. Chapter 15 Next, brothers, I would remind you of the good news which I told you, and which you received, the good news on which you have taken your stand, and by means of which you are being saved. I would remind you of the very words that I used in telling it to you, since you are still holding fast to it, and since it was not in vain that you became believers in Christ. For at the very beginning of my teaching I gave you the account which I had myself received, that Christ died for our sins, as the Scriptures had foretold, that he was buried, that on the third day he was raised, as the Scriptures had foretold, 
and that he appeared to Kephas, and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than five hundred of our brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have gone to their rest. After that he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all he appeared even to me, who am, as it were, the abortion. For I am the meanest of the apostles, I who am unworthy of the name of apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But it is through the love of God that I am what I am, and the love that he showed me has not been wasted. No, I have toiled harder than any of them, and yet it was not I but the love of God working with me. Whether then it was I or whether it was they, this we proclaim, and this you believed. Now if it is proclaimed of Christ that he has been raised from the dead, how is it that some of you say that there is no such thing as a resurrection of the dead? But if there is no such thing as a resurrection from the dead, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is without meaning, and our faith is without meaning also. Yes, and we are being proved to have borne false testimony about God. For we testified of God that he raised the Christ, whom he did not raise, if indeed the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then even Christ himself has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is folly. Your sins are on you still. Yes, and they who have passed to their rest in union with Christ perished. If all that we have done has been to place our hope in Christ for this life, then we of all men are the most to be pitied. But in truth, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are at rest. For since through a man there is death, so too through a man there is a resurrection of the dead. For as through union with Adam all men die, so through union with Christ all will be made to live, but each in his proper order. Christ the firstfruits, afterwards that is coming those who belong to the Christ. Then will come the end, when he surrenders the kingdom to his God and Father, having overthrown all other rule and all other authority and power. For he must reign until God has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be overthrown is death. For God has placed all things under Christ's feet. But when it is said that all things have been placed under Christ, it is plain that God is accepted who placed everything under him. And when everything has been placed under him, the Son will place himself under God, who placed everything under him, that God may be all in all. Again, what good will they be doing who are baptized on behalf of the dead? If it is true that the dead do not rise, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why, too, do we risk our lives every hour? Daily I face death. I swear it, brothers, by the pride in you that I feel through my union with Christ Jesus our Lord. If, with only human hopes, I had fought in the arena at Ephesus, what should I have gained by it? If the dead do not rise, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. Do not be deceived. Good character is marred by evil company. Awake to a righteous life, and cease to sin. There are some who have no true knowledge of God. I speak in this way to shame you. Someone, however, may ask, How do the dead rise, and in what body will they come? You foolish man! The seed you yourself sow does not come to life unless it dies. And when you sow, you sow not the body that will be, but a mere grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. God gives it the body that he pleases, to each seed its special body. All forms of life are not the same. There is one for men, another for beasts, another for birds, and another for fishes. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the beauty of the heavenly bodies is not the beauty of the earthly. 
There is a beauty of the sun, and a beauty of the moon, and a beauty of the stars. For even star differs from star in beauty. It is the same with the resurrection of the dead. Sown a mortal body, it rises immortal. Sown disfigured, it rises beautiful. Sown weak, it rises strong. Sown a human body, it rises a spiritual body. As surely as there is a human body, there is also a spiritual body. This is what is meant by the words, Adam, the first man, became a human being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That which comes first is not the spiritual, but the human. Afterwards comes the spiritual. The first man was from the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. Those who are of the dust are like him who came from the dust, and those who are of heaven are like him who came from heaven. And as we have borne the likeness of him who came from the dust, so let us bear the likeness of him who came from heaven. This I say, brothers, flesh and blood can have no share in the kingdom of God, nor can the perishable share the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you God's hidden purpose. We shall not all have passed to our rest, but we shall all be transformed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet call, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will rise immortal, and we also shall be transformed. For this perishable body of ours must put on an imperishable form, and this dying body a deathless form. For when this dying body has put on its deathless form, then indeed will the words of Scripture come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is thy victory? Where, O oh, death, is thy sting? It is sin that gives death its sting, and it is the law that gives sin its power. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, unshaken, always diligent in the Lord's work, for you know that in union with him your toil is not in vain. Chapter 16 With reference to the collection for Christ's people, I want you to follow the instructions that I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of every week, each of you should put by what he can afford, so that no collections need be made after I have come. On my arrival, I will send any persons whom you may authorize by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem, and if it appears to be worthwhile for me to go also, they shall go with me. I will come to you as soon as I have been through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia, and I shall probably make some stay with you, or perhaps remain for the winter, so that you may yourselves send me on my way, wherever I may be going. I do not propose to pay you a visit in passing now, for I hope to stay with you for some time, if the Lord permits. I intend, however, staying at Ephesus till the festival at the close of the harvest, for a great opening for active work has presented itself, and there are many opponents. If Timothy comes, take care that he has no cause for feeling anxious while he is with you. He is doing the Master's work no less than I am. No one, therefore, should slight him. See him safely on his way to me, for I am expecting him with some of our brothers. As for our brother Apollos, I have often urged him to go to you with the others. He has, however, been very unwilling to do so as yet, but he will go as soon as he finds a good opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in your faith. Show yourselves men. Be strong. Let everything you do be done in a loving spirit. I have another request to make of you, brothers. You remember Stephanus and his household, that they were the first fruits gathered in from Greece and set themselves to serve Christ's people. I want you, on your part, to show deference to such men as these, as well as to every fellow laborer and earnest worker. 
I am glad Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus have come, for they have made up for your absence. They have cheered my heart and your hearts also. Recognize the worth of such men as these. The churches in Roman Asia send you their greetings. Aquila and Prisca and the church that meets at their house send you many Christian greetings. All our brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a sacred kiss. I, Paul, add this greeting in my own handwriting. Accursed be any one who has no love for the Lord. The Lord is coming. May the blessing of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you who are in union with Christ Jesus. End of chapters 12 through 16 End of the first letter to the Corinthians